That one's on me. That <laughs> hey, if you have your Bibles, turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 15, and thank you for being with us this morning on Easter Sunday. And uh, thank you to our choir and orchestra and praise team for uh, preparing to lead us in worship, and uh, to all those who are serving in our church today to, uh, to make this gathering go. We're grateful. Uh, thank you for being with us today. Uh, everybody looks forward to Easter. Uh, I know that, that my family and I look forward to Easter. In general, we all have, uh, we all look forward to things, do we not? We all like to look forward to something that is coming up that we find enjoyable. Uh, we all look forward to vacation and birthdays, and some of us look forward to birthdays, I guess. Uh, but we look forward to the things that we enjoy that are coming up. You know, but I've never heard anyone say in my lifetime, I am really looking forward to my funeral. <laughs> I've never heard anybody say that. Now, some who take their cues from Peter Pan may think that the greatest adventure would be death because of the unknown. And while that line of thinking may be quotable, it is pleasant to think about maybe, but it is not that way to be realized. There are some, and I say this with compassion, some feel that death would be a relief. But I would suggest that those who feel this way would rather not feel that way. And life seems so tough sometimes that escaping it may seem like liberty. But in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, the Bible does not say that death is an adventure, nor does the Bible say that death is a relief. God's Word calls death an enemy. And I would wager that in here most of you today do not have a real enemy, someone who is dedicated to actively opposing you, someone who is intentionally dedicating their life and all the wickedness that they can muster up to shut you down and send you out or put you down. I remember as a child building a fort in the basement of the childhood home where I grew up. Anything that I could lift or move that would cover me, I hunkered down in the basement and I put it around me, pillows and chairs and nets and whatever was there, I would put it around me to fortify myself. And not only did I defend myself, I, I prepared myself for weaponry. I took wiffle balls and kickballs and baseball bats that would be the sword in my hand. And I was there fortified in that stronghold. And I thought it was so impressive that I invited my family members to come down the steps and check it out. I wanted my mom and my dad and my sister to see this magnificent work of engineering that this child had put together before them. And I even gave them a demonstration of that weaponry, I began to lob the wiffle balls at them just to show them that they're not, I'm, not, I'm not messing around. And I would, I would kick a, a, a kickball at them just a little bit just to give them a little taste of what was happening back here. And I remember my parents, in response, my mom and dad gave me one of those things that mom and dads do like, all right, man, you know, good effort. <laughs> Anything worth doing, worth doing right, right? Appreciate you doing that, that's great. But I remember my sister, my sister, after they gave me sort of a attaboy, you know, good work, my sister busted out laughing at me. Just uncontrollable laughter, like this is hilarious. And it was then that I realized as a child that my sister is my enemy, <laughs> right? That the girl that's a few years older than me sleeping one room over is my adversary. 
And so I dedicated, I'm just kidding. I mean, my sister's in the room today, singing in the choir, good godly woman, love her to death. And I bring that up as an illustration. I even ran that by her before the service. I was like, look, there's gonna be an illustration today. I know we're getting together later to celebrate Easter and eat dinner together, but you should know I'm bringing this out. I'm not bitter about it at all. <laughs> um, I, I say that really in jest because when I think of enemies, when I think of lifelong enemies, I think of lighthearted illustrations like that because these kinds of illustrations come to my mind because I don't really have a real enemy. Somebody by a heart dedicated to see me fail, I don't have one of those. I don't have a serious enemy, so it's not, it's not easy for me to wrap my mind around someone seeking my demise or coming after me. There's a survey of uh, 30,000 Americans to answer the following question. How many enemies would you say that you have? And according to the results, the most popular answer by far was zero. But I want you to understand this morning as you're in church on Easter Sunday, we've all got at least one. We've all got at least one that we are facing that we have a common thread in, and that one common enemy that we all share as human beings is death. An enemy is a hateful adversary. An enemy, when the Bible speaks of death, it speaks of separation. And when the Bible speaks of this enemy death, it speaks of Satan, Satan who brought in sin, sin that brings in death. Death is what we desire to avoid. Death is what we desire to abandon. In our very being, we want to overcome death. Death brings sorrow with it. Death seems so final, and death seems hopeless, and it's often viewed as the end. But even with all that in place, and all that truth that we accept, there's still something inside of us that hopes for life. There's still something in our heart, in our mind, in our very immaterial being that hopes for eternal life, life beyond the grave. And Jesus said to Martha in John eleven twenty five, 25, I am the resurrection and the life. And anyone who believes in me will live even after dying. Lord Jesus, teach us today, oh God. I pray, Spirit of God, that you guide us into all truth by your word. And Lord, that we would leave here desperately desiring to honor you with our days, in Jesus' name, amen. As you are in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, you should know that some in both the culture and the church of Corinth dismissed the idea of a real resurrection. They thought of the resurrection to be laughable, nonsense, and their highfalutin minds, they could not realize how dead could be raised to life. So this is why Paul gave eyewitness testimony. This is why the first Half of chapter 15 starts with Paul giving a foundation for the resurrection that it really happened. He gave scriptural foundation, he gave the historical evidence, and he gave eyewitness testimony saying, as we looked at last week, hey man, over 500 folks saw the resurrected Jesus. Y'all, if you've got 500 eyewitnesses to anything, that will convict. Are you with me? And so Paul lays all of these things out to reinforce the fact that God by his will and by his power, raised his son Jesus from the grave. And this authenticated the claims that Jesus made while he was on earth, the claims that we just read. 
where Jesus said, I am the resurrection, I am the life, and anyone who believes in me will live even after dying. How was that? Well, Jesus defeated death, so those who live and believe in Jesus will also defeat death. Take that with you today. I think some of us in here think that because we've never seen a person actually raised from the grave that it's impossible. And I would agree and tell you that resurrection is impossible for every person that I've ever known, but not with God. For with God, all things are possible. And I know it's tough for us to believe, <laughs> hey, we're not God. I feel like that may be one of the most impactful statements that I make today from me to you and from you to me. We are not God. We are not on his level. We do not have his power. Therefore, our will and our way does not measure up. We are not God. With us, many things are impossible. For with God, all things are possible, even death after that grave, even eternal life. Why? Because God is all-powerful. If Jesus were still in the grave, this would be a whole different thing today then we're just talking about some religious things that really have no grounds because the object of our faith is Jesus and the object of our faith is not down in that tomb. But he has overwhelmed and overcome the grave to give those who hope in him eternal life. God is all-powerful. Jesus died to prove his humanity and he rose again to prove his divinity. And this is why overcoming the enemy of death that we all face today is possible. 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verses 20 through 23, the Bible says in verse 20, but in fact, but in fact, Christ has been raised from the dead. He is the first of a great harvest of all who have died. So you see, just as death came into the world through a man, now the resurrection from the dead has begun through another man. Just as everyone dies because we all belong to Adam, everyone who belongs to Christ will be given new life. But there is an order to this resurrection. The Bible says in verse 23, Christ was raised as the first of the harvest, and all who belong to Christ will be raised when he comes back. Jesus as the first of the harvest, the Bible says, is drawing from an Old Testament reference. God instructed his Old Testament people to honor him, to remember his provision through an annual harvest festival. And so it was during this festival that each family of Israel would come and they would present an initial offering of crops to the Lord in anticipation of a plentiful harvest right after that. You see, this was a presentation when bringing this offering of the first crop. It was a presentation of the best of the crop and it was attributed to God's power and provision with the grounded hope that that was the first of the rest of the crop to come. Jesus is first. He is first in the sense that he proceeds. Jesus is first in the sense that he goes before. Now, you saints of God that keep children in the children's ministry, amen? You saints of God, you arrive a little early to set up in the children's building, and before you know it, the first little learner enters the room. And if you are like me and my wife, the feeling of stillness goes away. <laughs> And it gives way to a sense of urgency because now as the appointed time draws near, the first child in the room means what? 
There's more coming. There's more that are walking in. The first one is just the first fruits of the rest of the crop that's coming in right behind. Some of you today, you will find yourselves before a serving tray of deviled eggs. Now, did you know that in some places in the South, to keep from calling them deviled eggs, they call them dressed eggs in the presence of the redeemed, all right? <laughs> Just to make sure we could put a faithful spin on it, we give it a different name. But I call them deviled eggs because while they seem enticing, most of the time they taste like sin. I'm just going to tell you. <laughs> but for many of you sinners who love deviled eggs and love them to death, y'all see what I did there? One deviled egg, one deviled egg is just what? It is just the first of more to come. And y'all can have all of my share, for I do not want one. The scripture teaches this today. Just as Adam was the first to experience the consequence of sin, all of the rest of us have followed suit. But just as Jesus was the first that was raised from the grave, all of those who have turned from sin and turned to God by faith in Jesus, we too will be raised. You heard me right when I say we will be raised. Raised from the grave. At an appointed time according to God Almighty. And you say, well, that seems strange. I'm here to tell you that that has been validated by the raising to life of the Son of God, Jesus, who is the object of our faith. We are not here today because we believe in a dead leader, a dead Lord, and a dead Savior. A dead cannot do anything. We are here today because Jesus arose from the grave in all the power of God to validate the claims the way, the will of God, and to give everybody that believes in Jesus, who lives and believes in Jesus, life after death. You can criticize Adam for the separation. You can thank Jesus for the fellowship. When you get to the graveside, you can roll your eyes at Adam, but you can lift your hands to Jesus for the empty tomb. Jesus is the first to raise from the grave. And because he is, there is divine hope in dying. But listen to this. There's divine hope in living because he is alive and at the right hand of God. Verse 23 says, Then all who belong to Christ will be raised when he comes back. When he comes back speaks to the return of Jesus. Church, if the idea of the resurrection of Jesus or the idea of the return of the second coming of Christ, if you find that weird or if you find it hard to comprehend, know this, both the resurrection and the return are at the heart of New Testament preaching. The book of Acts, which is where the church is formed and tasked with spreading the good news of God's salvation to the world, it is filled with resurrection references that provided foundation for the ministry of saints that went to their grave and shed their blood for the cause because it's true. The scripture says the apostles in Acts chapter 4 verse 33, they testified powerfully to the resurrection to the Lord Jesus and God's great blessing was upon them all. Likewise, the return of Jesus is mentioned over 300 times in the New Testament. If you think that the return or the second coming of Jesus is a little bit weird, do you think that Christmas is weird? The first, no, exactly right. 
out of the mouths of babes. That's what I'm saying. <laughs> you would think that I planted that. That was awesome. <laughs> no, in fact, it's not. Because his second advent is as sure as his first and for those who are right with God, listen to me today. I'm going to say this again at the end of the service. To think about the end of days or the second coming of Christ or the end of the world really probably encourages two things out of you. you one, you have that mind where you want to discuss that, read about it, project on it, philosophize about it, and all those kinds of things. Or you don't want to talk about it at all. You hate the thought of it. Some because of the unknown or maybe because you're not ready. But the return of Jesus Christ, his second advent, should be a comfort to those who belong to Christ. It should be a, a day where we look forward to our King coming back, to, uh, to the Lord and, and Savior Jesus Christ beginning to establish himself on earth to make all things right. In fact, Revelation chapter 22, verse 20, as part of the concluding statement of the New Testament, it says, Amen, come Lord Jesus, come on. And bring yourself back here. The resurrection of Jesus, the return of Jesus, it's all biblical truth that points toward the experience of eternal life for all who belong to Jesus. When you are in sin and you remain in sin, you remain separate from God. As you, up until the time where you turn from that sin and turn to God, you have rejected the way of God's salvation for you. You have chosen to believe yourself, God. You have chosen to remain in sin, which puts you at the top. And that is a life that is separate from God. You may acknowledge him every once in a while, and you may have religious beliefs, but if there was no repentance and faith in Jesus Christ, you remain separate from God. That is not a Baptist opinion. That is not the opinion of me or anybody in here. That is the truth of the Scripture. The resurrection and the return of Jesus are biblical truth to the experience of eternal life for all who belong to Jesus. So I guess the question that you need to consider in your heart today, the question that I considered when I was 11 years old, as a gospel preacher stood before the church and talked about the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus, talked about the sin that every person in the world inherited from Adam and what God did for us through Jesus to restore us right fellowship with God. The question that I ask you today is, who do you belong to? Who do you belong to? Is it said there in the last half of 23? You see, union with Adam is within our nature. All of us. No matter what your age, no matter. No, no, no matter where you're coming from or what experiences you have, we have an inherited nature from Adam. We know that we belong to Adam. We are in union with Adam because the proof is in our selfish nature. The proof is in our doubt-filled nature, our sinful nature that doubts that God's way is better than ours at every turn. And the result of that sinful nature is death. The Bible says, but while the wages of sin is death. But you see, there's another part of that verse that says, while the wages of sin is death, the free gift of God is eternal life through Christ Jesus. What we earn because of sin is death, but God in his grace extended his love towards us. And Jesus became sin who knew no sin so that we might become the righteousness of God, so that we might not have death as our eternal destination, but have life in the presence of God in heaven. 
See, while we all belong to Adam, we are all eligible to belong to Jesus. And when you belong to Jesus, listen to this, when you belong to Jesus, when Jesus is your Lord and Savior, when you have turned from yourself, when you finally reach the end of betting on you and you've put your trust as you are convinced in the work, in the finished work of Jesus Christ, when that happens in your life, you receive a clean slate. And you receive forgiveness, a fresh start, eternal life. Now, that does not mean that there is not consequence for forgiven sin. What it does mean is that because you have accepted the only way to be right with God, you are right with God. That before the utmost authority, King of kings, Lord of lords, forever and ever, you are right with him, clean and forgiven. And it's not too late to decide with devotion to turn from yourself and turn to God and believe in Jesus. In fact, let's bow our heads together real quick. I'm not going to ask you to walk the aisle or anything like that right now. I, I'm just saying in the quiet of your heart and mind, if there's never been a time in your life where you have called upon the name of the Lord Jesus to be saved, and it's your heart's desire to be right with God today, would you acknowledge that you are a sinner and call on Jesus to save you, trusting that he is the resurrection and the life? In your heart now, the best way you know how, call on the Lord. Call on the Lord. Jesus' name, amen. 1 Corinthians 15, 24 through 28, the remaining passage of our time today, verse 24 says, after that the end will come when he will turn the kingdom over to God the Father, having destroyed every ruler and authority and power. That's every one of them that would challenge him. For Christ must reign until he humbles all his enemies beneath his feet. And the last enemy to be destroyed, verse 26, is death. For the scripture says, God has put all things under his, Jesus's authority. Of course, when it says all things are under his authority, that does not include God himself, who gave Christ all authority. Verse 28, then, when all things are under his authority, the son will put himself under God's authority so that God, who gave his son authority over all things, will be utterly supreme over everything, everywhere. These are end of the world words. This is end times Bible the end of days, passages. And when you read these together, passages like this can be difficult to interpret. I would suggest to you, for those, that you, those of you that study end times and you enjoy the study of prophecy, I would suggest humility to you. Humility is required when you study these scriptures as different churches have different interpretations relative to what happens between the return of Christ and the eternal rule of God. But what is plain in this text today, now stay with me here, what is plain in this text today is that there will be a time when Jesus returns and he begins to reign on earth over every ruler, over every rebellion, and over every rival to the one true God. And at that later time, when all judgments are settled and death has been done away with, Jesus will hand the earthly king over to God the Father, and when he does, this will signal the beginning of the eternal state where all who belong to Jesus will be in the presence of God forever and ever and ever. You see, at the end of time, Jesus will not just be left standing. <laughs> Jesus will be reigning 
as King of kings and Lord of lords because he and all the power of God has been elevated to the position of divine authority by God the Father. Jesus is first, first in the sense that he proceeds and that he goes before. But Jesus is elevated in the sense that he outranks. Jesus has been placed above who? Above all, according to God. Acts chapter 2, verses 32 through 33 as we bring it home. Acts 2, 32 through 33, the Bible says God raised Jesus from the dead, and we are all witnesses of this. And now he is exalted. He is elevated to the place of highest honor at God's right hand. And the Father, as he had promised, gave him the Holy Spirit to pour out on us, just as you see and you hear today. One of the words that I'd like you to see there in verse 32 says God raised Jesus from the dead. We are all witnesses of this. Right after that, the Bible says now. Now he is exalted. A takeaway today on Easter is this. Jesus will reign at a time in the future. But Jesus is honored today. Jesus is exalted. He is elevated to a place of authority and all praise today. God has elevated him, the Bible says, to a place of highest honor above you and above me and above every ruler that is. Right now, not at a later time, now, the Bible says. You see, in our day and time, we often think, what leader will help us? Who will come and do something next? Who will do something about the issues of our culture? Well, Christian, is Jesus dead or alive? Amen. The king is alive. Is he involved or not? Does the scripture say or not that God's spirit, who testifies to the words and ways of Jesus, has been poured out on us? Does it say that God's spirit has been given to the church or not? Are we representatives of Christ in the world or not? Is Jesus not working for his glory and the good of man now through us? Sometimes we are waiting on somebody to make a difference, a good and godly difference. And God has reminded us in the scripture, I put my spirit in you for you to be free from the penalty and the power of sin, for you to share the gospel to make a good news difference in the world around you. Y'all, I say this, as one leader has said, Jesus is not on the edge of his seat at the right hand of God. Like, oh gosh, what's gonna happen? What's gonna happen down there? Jesus, in fact, is alive. And God, in his nature, is everywhere present. Because of this church, factor in the King of kings and Lord of lords into your life now. Today, every day of your lives, be aware of the presence of God in your life so that we may be a light in the world and stop pouting and griping about a broken culture like we have no hope in that culture. Somebody say amen to that. Amen. When a trophy is one. When a trophy is one, it is, it's what? It's, it's lifted up, right? Nobody receives a trophy and it's handed to them in a presentation and they take it and go, thanks. No, what we do is we take it, and this is probably a bad example of this because this says, Lindsay Lane East third annual kickball tournament, second place. <laughs> so 
terrible, low-budget prop example. We probably actually did receive it and go, thanks. You know, we just set it down. I could have at least gotten a first-place trophy. You can tell by the dust that it's really not that meaningful. But, but when you win, aside from this, when you win and somebody hands you this, what do you do? You take it and you hold it up. Why do you lift it up? Why do you exalt? Why do you elevate? Because of victory. Because of victory. You've had the power to overcome and overwhelm everything in your way, and now you've been presented a victorious trophy, and so you lift it up. But what happens after the celebration? And what happens when the days go from celebration back to normal is usually that victory that was so important in our life, we begin to just sort of take it and set it aside. On special days, we'll bring it back out and we'll lift it up again and then we'll set it back down. I would suggest to you that there's dust all over this trophy because what was once honored is sort of set aside as a memory and that's all. May God help us if that is our attitude towards the victorious King, the risen Savior, who is Jesus Christ, our Lord. Jesus is not a symbolic trophy. Jesus is not a ritual. He is not something that is given to us to remember a good day in our life. Jesus is not to be put on the shelf until the next time you come by him, to the next time that you recognize your need to get him back out and to honor him and remember what was. Jesus is our victor, our savior, our Lord, who is elevated by God to the place of highest honor right now and always. Jesus is our victory. His spirit lives in us to testify to that when every single day that Jesus is to be honored. Sometimes we put this up and we, man, we lift it up when it happens and then we set it right over here again and we think, all right, Jesus, when Christmas comes back around, Jesus, when, when, when he returns to earth, we'll, we'll lift him up again. I don't think y'all are getting it then, amen? Because the scripture says in Acts chapter two that he is exalted, that he is elevated right now. Can I just ask you very simply and seriously, what does that look like in your life today? And not just today, but what about Monday and Tuesday and Wednesday? What about the next time that we get together? For he is the living God, or maybe he's just an old trophy. The big idea of the scripture is, what is ahead for us? For those who belong to Jesus is a wonderful raising. Oh, absolutely. It's a wonderful truth that we will have eternal life but it's also the truth that we, will to, we are to have loving submission for those who have turned from sin and turned to God. We are to honor him now because the Spirit of God is in us now, making a difference in us now, and God has elevated Jesus to the place of highest honor right this moment and for all moments. Finally, the end of the world is something that, again, you either love to talk about or you don't ever want to think about. 
You don't want to think about death. Some people obsess over it. Others never want to give thought to it. And the scripture even says that a wise person gives a lot of thought about death as a sobering reality on us. You see, the one thing that can be agreed upon by all who study end times, by all who study death, is what will be then is a motivation for what should be now. God's son has done the work to take the sting out of death. And the Holy Spirit of God is doing the work in you to take the fear out of your future. God is working in our hearts towards what? Towards a decision with devotion that we would honor God with all of the days of our life with Jesus at the top. Amen? Make this very plain and simple as we close. Who do you belong to? What is your testimony? Can you testify that God has changed your life? That there's been a time in your life that's not just a one moment, but that it's changed your life to know that you are no longer in charge, that you belong to God, you do not belong to yourself anymore. Do you know for a fact that if you died today that you would get into heaven? And if you stood before God and God said, why should I let you in, what would you tell him? You see, if you're trying to get your story together or you're trying to tell him all the things that you've done that you hope would outweigh your bad, you're chasing down the wrong road because there's only one way to be right with God for all eternity, and that is through repentance and faith in the Lord Jesus Christ because only Jesus has defeated death. Therefore, only through Jesus will you receive eternal life. Let's stand to our feet today. I want you to know that if you have prayed to receive Christ today or you want to ask some questions more about that and you want to call upon the name of the Lord before this Easter service ends, why don't you come down this aisle? Don't worry about all these other folks and what they're thinking. Most of them are praying for you. But if you would walk the aisle and let us help with that, we would love to help you with that. Can I also tell you today that that's not the only way to make a decision in your bulletin, what you've got there is an opportunity to respond and leave that with us so that we can reach back out. This is a holy moment. If you bow your head and close your eyes, this is just a holy moment today. As I can tell you, when I heard the gospel loud and clear in my heart was on a Sunday night service when a guy was up preaching the gospel. And I went home and my parents led me to know the truth about salvation. So with the desire to turn from myself and my sin, I got on my knees beside my bed and I called the Lord Jesus to save me, to forgive me. And I know the Spirit of God came in. I've not been perfect since, far from it. But I know that God has given me freedom from the penalty and power of sin. I belong to Jesus. Do you belong to Jesus? What's your next step of obedience? Again, with your head bowed, eyes closed. What's your next step of obedience? Do you need to join the church? Do you need to... Come back again soon? Do you need to get plugged in? Do you need to be baptized? What's your first step? What's your next step of obedience? Because I guarantee you what's going on in your heart right now is not something that you're conjuring up, but it's the Spirit of God working you away from yourself towards what you need. Lord, thank you for your word. Thank you for your spirit that works together with your word. God, I pray that you would lead us from where we are to where we need to be. Lord, if there's one or many today that just simply needs to call on your name in prayer, by faith, through your grace, to confess that Jesus is Lord and their need for him.
Lord, I pray that they would do that right now. Or they would have the courage to come and share that with someone who can help them take the next steps forward. Lord, we thank you, O oh God, for your love for us. We thank you, Father, for putting this day on the map, Lord, that we would celebrate your resurrection to give us hope of eternal life. Lord, may we not forget it the rest of all these days. Lord, lead us forward into response now, whether it is at the altar, in our pew, or in our heart. Or Father, we need to sing and lift our voice to you, Father, for you are the overcomer. You are victorious King of kings and Lord of lords. And we praise you now and always. In Jesus' name, amen. This altar is open for you to pray. We have people here to pray with you or let you walk right on past us. We're here to help you, answer questions, and lead you forward.